Welcome to Autism Weekly, the podcast that discusses autism news, current events, and inclusion. Each week, we welcome a guest to the program to share their unique perspective and expertise as it relates to the fascinating world of autism. I'm your host, Jeff Skibitsky. I'm the founder and president at ABS Kids. I've been in the field of autism and applied behavior analysis as a clinician and advocate for nearly two decades. This week, we welcome Marin Jacobson and Francisco Chavez to the podcast to celebrate the ABS Kids 10th anniversary. And we hope to talk about where autism care started out, where it is now, and what's next. Marin was one of the first employees at ABS Kids just over 10 years ago and is now proudly leading our ABS Kids Utah team. Francisco is the regional director in California and was one of our first team members in that state. They've seen it all, experienced the transition from paper to digital data taking, watched insurance reform before their eyes and developed a company culture focused on helping children reach milestones and realize their potential. Today's podcast is gonna be a fun one celebrating how far the field has come and how far ABS Kids has come. And I, I look forward personally to hearing all the stories that you know led to all these changes, but let's hear the perspective and get into all these stories now. With that said, Marin and Francisco, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Jeff. Hi, Jeff, thanks for having us. Oh, it is my pleasure. And uh, you all probably have far more stories than I could ever think of. So um, what I'd like to do, just to give everybody uh, a bit of an understanding where you're coming from is, you know, give us a little bit of a background. And Marin, maybe you can start, but I'm sure it feels like a lifetime ago because the world has changed so much around us. But um, how did you get into the field of autism? Yeah, so I started working with individuals on the autism spectrum back in 2004. Um, I was in college and I was introduced to a facility that was backed by grant money to perform ABA programming for kids on the autism spectrum. I really fell in love with it there. I loved seeing the progress of the children and um, the data was something that I found to be very fascinating and very motivating. I just really kind of found my niche there and um, ended up working with you, Jeff, at um, a previous center. Um, and it was interesting to see how funding went from being more um, kind of grant focused to, you know, families being able to access ABA services through their insurance benefit. And then, you know, from there, uh, we started ABS Kids and I've been here since 2011. I'm really passionate about ABA and the progress that it's able to impact uh, for children and their families. And uh, Marin, I, I, as you spoke through that, I'd sit back and I think is that when you were talking about that funding issue and who we're able to serve now, it's, it's a whole different world. I, now there aren't limits. It's everybody can get access to care. But that was not the situation historically. And, and getting to live through that and seeing families who typically maybe didn't have that opportunity start to get access to care and see their child develop and get some parent support. What did that feel like for you? Um, it felt great. Uh, you know, I think that prior to 2014, when we saw more of the insurances covering ABA services, you know, I'd encountered a lot of families who'd really just 
kind of sacrificed everything so that they could afford this service for their child. And to see funding improve and see more opportunities for families to access without having to, you know, sell their homes or sell their vehicles and, and just make it work. That that was huge, obviously, for those families. You know, that's a really big win for the field as well, um, that we can we can do this and that it's not as financially impactful as it once was for the families and the children that need um, this type of care. Yeah, and, and Francisco, I'm going to date your age in ABA right now, and I apologize in advance for doing that, but uh, uh, you've been in the field for 20 years. You worked uh, initially in a place where that research was being generated. So... Give me your perspective. Um, you know, what, what led me to, to uh, ABA and, and working with children and individuals with autism, you know, as an undergrad at, at UCLA in the, in the late 90s, you know, I was a psychology major taking the classes I needed to take. And I, and I took a class by uh, Dr. Ivar Lovas, and it was a behavior modification class. It wasn't necessarily an ABA autism class, but at the end of that class, they brought in three families. And these three families came with their supervisor, with uh, the child, and in front of, you know, 300 people in a lecture hall, they ran a few programs. And, uh, you know, the, the parents would get up there and talk about when they noticed, you know, that their child was uh, lagging behind on some developmental milestones and how quickly they started to see a gap between them and their peers. Um, and then they talked about what the therapy looked like in their homes, their commitment to that therapy and the training they received from uh, Dr. Lovas's team. And um, you know, we were able to see where these children were at now with skills that their parents said a year ago, they didn't have any of these skills. Um, and it was at that moment where I, you know, before that, I didn't know what autism was. Um, I didn't know what ABA was. But at that moment, I said, hey, you know, this is something I didn't know I could do with my psych degree. And, uh, you know, I continued taking court. There were a four series course. I continued taking that and eventually ended up working there and, and moved around through the Southern California area to different communities. And I think, you know, tailing a little bit on what Marin said when when I moved from West LA, you know, working in the early 2000s out there, families had the means to either pay for the service or, uh, you know, to hire uh, an attorney to help them obtain funding for that service from either a school district or from a regional center. Uh, when I moved to the Inland Empire area of Southern California, 50 miles east of LA, that wasn't necessarily the case families didn't necessarily have the means to, to do that. So it was a lot more difficult for families to obtain. Um, you know, as we've had those mandates, California, I remember sitting with you, Jeff, in the Nevada ABA conference, just checking Twitter every 15 minutes to see if the mandate had passed or not in, in, in California. And it passed um, when we were sitting there in 2011 and it was enacted in 2012 that's really just opened it up for a, a lot of these uh, a lot of these families and so while where i started yeah it was very research driven still even though the, the research had been published and we were maybe you know another 12 years out from when that research had been published it was still very research oriented 
And, you know, when those mandates came out and access became available, it, you know, it, it quickly turned on to how do we now put this into practice, but still stay true to what research has demonstrated it is going to work and is effective and, and how do you navigate all these individual family needs with you know what the research says because you know anybody that's a BCBA out there knows that you know you're, you're not just coming in and implementing Cooper's book you're coming in and you're adjusting to the family's needs and really finding what's important to those families so that one they stay involved in the program but two, it's effective. And when you walk out that door at the end of the day, it's something the family believes in and continues, uh, you know, with their child uh, for, you know, generalization purposes and maintenance and, and all those things. Yeah, if, if only a book could get you there, right? <laughs> it's, it's so yeah. funny is how hard that job is, even though it's so rewarding, is that you do all these studies, you get yourself prepared for it, and then, wow, I'm in front of uh, the family, and I'm in front of the kids, and life now has started. And but that actually brings me to like, you all have so much experience in the field. And um, Maren, I'm actually gonna throw this back to you right now. But when, when you sit back and think, um, you know, what is that, what is that one memory that kind of sits in? It could be with a family or a child um, that kind of makes you think, wow, you know, I did that. Or, you know, that was probably the craziest day of my life because those are the things that keep people in the field. It's the stories, it's the connections, it's those families, it's the kids. But what's the one for you? It's so hard to choose one. I think generally speaking, there have just been a lot of moments where you, you get to see the impact of ABA for the parent or for the family. You know, grandparents are always great. Grandparents and aunts and uncles who come visit from out of town are always a great indicator of, of patient progress because, um, you know, they see the child a couple times a year at most if, if they live far away. And, you know, I think um, hearing, wow, like they're leaps and bounds from where they were six months ago um, from someone whose last interaction was, um, you know, maybe minimal vocalizations or minimal, you know, um, you know, social interaction, and, and now the child is, um, you know, communicating with them in whatever way, you know, that that child can access. And that's a huge moment for the family and for the, the providers on the case as well, because that's what we're all here to do is to help this child to, you know, access their, their family and their community and seeing those moments and then seeing the kind of the reciprocation of that with the family have always been my favorite parts of, of being in this field. And, you know, being able to witness that time and time again has just been my favorite, you know, I guess, memory of, of being an ABA provider and working for an ABA company. And, and you mentioned grand grandparents and it, it just triggers memories for me of like, just sitting there and, and having those family members come in who haven't seen the child in six months and finally be able to play that game or, you know, like where we have clues to where the grandparent might be and the, the child has to follow it. And you see the excitement of the grandparent finally getting to engage with their grandchild in such a meaningful way that like they're almost springing out of the closet to say, ah, you found me. Mm -hmm. um, and those are things that like they, they probably never thought that they'd have the opportunity for, for some of the kids is to be able mm -hmm. to engage on that level. 
Francisca, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this in a in a different way. I I, I know that you've had some super fun clients or patients in the past, and um, yeah. I, I'd be curious to know, you know, what what is the what's kind of the oddest session that you've had to run in order to keep a child engaged or what are some of the things that you're like eh, all right so i'm too old to be doing this you got to be kidding me where you are out there and and kind of having that fun experience well um gosh a, a few people you know know this story but i worked with i worked with a, a little girl she she kind of stood out I, I should say from you know all of the clients that i worked with and i was maybe 20, I think I was 24 years old or so, and she was four, you know, she had some, you know, she had some challenges uh, playing, you know, socializing. And I knew she was really, really into Barbies and princess things. So I had to go full Barbie princess mode, you know, trying to draw on what I had seen my cousins and my, my sisters, you know, play when they were kids. And just really, really just get deep into the Barbie princess culture, I guess. And, you know, if I had to put on some, you know, little uh, veils and, you know, uh, you know, I, maybe some makeup, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not going to confirm or deny that. But, you know, whatever I had to do to really get the engagement from this little girl um, who, you know, didn't really want to engage. And you know what? She did engage. And, you know, she, uh, I, I remember, you know, hearing the little snickers of, of mom and dad in the other room um, as they heard me playing, you know, Barbies and, uh, and princess games. Uh, and, you know, a few of my colleagues know, you know, about it. And I still, you know, it's been over 20 years since I did that or around there. And I still hear about it, you know. The, those games that I played with the, with that one client, but I think that you're lucky that uh, the advancement of technology was not in place at this point, or else we might all have that viral video of uh, Francisca playing with the Barbies that you know might be on repeat in some of our homes right now. But oh, it'd be in repeat in my own home, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> but that I mean, we'll go into technology later. But um, and Francisca, I'm actually gonna gonna pose a question to you right now that. Um, you, when you started at ABS Kids, is that you started in a position that maybe we didn't think was going to be as needed as it is right now. You were doing remote services, opening access to care for areas of Utah while you were in California that yeah. never had ABA services before. Um, so you're kind of a, a, a groundbreaker for a lot of the things that we needed during COVID. So what is it during kind of this time and, and even during that advancement period that you've seen with technology in the field that, you know, maybe is the, the thing that really kind of allows us to be able to bring more people into care? Yeah, I think, you know, when, when we did do a couple of those, those projects, uh, gosh, that we're probably talking 15 years ago, maybe, maybe a little bit less than that um, to now that, you know, with everybody kind of being online the last, you know, year and a half, the technology just has improved. The, the, the ease of use has improved where you could realistically, as long as the technology is available, uh, you know, in, in that home and now it's available 
so much easier. It, you know, it, it could be on your phone. Um, that wasn't really around back then, but the ease of use is just so much better than it was then. And you know, the, the importance of, of that is, is really providing that access to those families that, that can access it for different reasons. Obviously in the last year and a half, it's been because maybe a grandparent lives in the home and, and uh, you know, they're susceptible to illness. Um, but in, in the past it was, it was that, you know, they lived a hundred miles out from the nearest city center that maybe in itself wasn't even a large city center. Um, you know, so it's, it's really important that we're able to provide that access. I think that's the biggest thing that, that we really need to find solutions for is how to provide access to all of these families and not just those that live kind of in metro, in metro areas. And Marin, uh, not to take away from Francisca, but you ground broke uh, a little bit yourself is that um, in Utah, I believe that you were part of the very first collaborative clinic-based model. What is, it, what is it about the clinic work that you've seen over time that um, has made that an even better experience for some of the kids? Yeah, I think that the the ABA clinics just offer a setting that is conducive to a lot of things that are a little bit more difficult to access consistently in the home and even community environments. Sometimes we can teach directly to social interactions, you know, between patients, and that can be a really successful aid for ABA is, is to have peers available who are sometimes working on the same uh, types of skills, kind of supporting each other with learning how to reinforce and interact and attend to each other. You know, obviously there's other, there's other benefits, like, you know, we have the child's full attention and the distractions that might be in their home environment are, you know, a little less so in the, in the center. Um, so it's just really fun. It's a really fun and positive environment. I think that our team members really enjoy being here and working together um, and, you know, seeing each other implement the ABA programs and structures that we have in place. And so, yeah, I think it's been really exciting to see our center growth across the company and, and for myself in Utah. Even the way that the clinics are run nowadays, it's so different. Uh, it, it used to be kind of almost like a, a hodgepodge is that you had a building to be able to provide all that care. And that's what clinics were 12 years ago. Now there's so much more sophistication behind it. It's you, you're able to triage pa uh, patients better. You went from a 1500 square foot center to I think uh, over 10,000 square foot center in, in one of the ones in Utah. It's, the, the world has changed so much. And I, I think that that just brings so much more opportunity, so much more engagement and tailorization to plans. What, what do you feel um, about the growth overall in ABA during the same time period? I mean, there's been a little bit more resourcing to what's mm -hmm. going on. Did that help, help to make your clinicians' jobs easier? Did it help the families? What's your thought, Mary? Yeah, definitely. Um... I think much like we were talking in the beginning of ABA starting out as really just research um, oriented and, you know, that was kind of the goal in the beginning of, of the field of ABA was, you know, obviously to help children and help individuals um, with, with autism, but also to kind of back the field with enough research that we had that credibility. And now what we're seeing is, uh, you know, we've got that credibility, we've got that funding. And, um, you know, we, we have the resources to, you know, really make this work as a model of, of care. And 
there are a lot of options available to us. And I think, you know, ABA companies across the country are kind of at the same, um, you know, kind of decision-making step of, you know, how do we best support our clinicians? Uh, what resources are needed? What administrative supports are needed to make it uh, function uh, so that, you know, the, the BCBAs can do their work and be focused on the clinical aspects of their job. And um, I'd say that's, you know, been a huge focus over the last um, several years at ABS Kids is, um, you know, making sure that we are um, addressing anything that can be addressed outside of the BCBA position by administrative support, resources that we can allot. And, you know, it's still, we're still working toward, you know, this optimal balance. But I do think that um, that's, you know, from what I've seen from other ABA agencies, that's something that we're kind of all in together is how, how do we really structure um, companies that are scalable and uh, that growth doesn't um, directly impact uh, the, the clinical care that uh, patients are receiving and that providers are providing. So it's, it's, a, it's a really exciting time to be in a company like ABS Kits because we kind of get to write the script and um, you know, learn from past um, errors that we may have made and, and grow from them and um, you know, just make everything better overall. And um, that's just our constant state. And the way that you phrase that, I think, is spot on. I think that the chance to be able to allow clinicians to be clinicians and not have to juggle all these other jobs that maybe isn't even what they got in the field for and allow them to follow their passion is so important. But I also think that the, the added of financial resources, I never would have thought that, that there would be dedicated departments for VP or quality assurance and for data analysis. I, I know that you had spoken earlier about part of the reason you got in the field is because the data made sense. And to have a whole team of data analysts that are giving you all that on a regular basis, I would never thought that possible 10 years ago. So I think that whole, that whole process, I think, is, is so unique for us to be able to experience in live is that all this growth has happened while we've been part of the field. Um, and so Francisco is with that same sort of concept going on is that you used to probably have to do it all. Um, you probably had to wear every single hat in the field at one point of your life from scheduling where you probably managed binders of schedules. I don't even know how that probably was possible, but um, without technology. But it, tell me some of these technological advancements that have made the job easier um, so that you're not doing your workout during the day, trying to carry everything from child's house to child's house, just because you have 8,000 pages of notes. Yeah. I, I remember those days, you know, driving, you know, driving late after sessions, you know, down to another patient's house that may have been, you know, 20, 30 miles away in LA traffic uh, just to grab that logbook to go home, you know, eat something quickly and then start going through the pages, hoping that you didn't, you know, pages didn't get ripped out somewhere and that you had all the data that, that you needed to prepare that, that, uh, you know, the data for the meeting tomorrow, you know, with, with the behavior analyst and with the psychologist and the rest of the team to really see where, you know, we could progress the programs, you know, to, to today, you know, we have uh, a lot of, you know, different companies that have, seen the need for 
for this data to be collected in a way that really, I think, then allows us to provide more access because we're not needing to hand tabulate everything and create graphs on Excel for every single target uh, like we used to have to do. We can now see more patients. And so these companies that have you know, really taken a, a stab and they've come a long way, but probably have just as far to you know, continue to go to kind of develop these views and you know, have enough bandwidth to, uh, to uh, support everybody that's getting on at 3 p.m. You know, on the West Coast at three, seems to slow down a little bit. Uh, it's just everybody getting home from school in session, starting everybody logging on. Uh, but it's really made it where I think just we're able to provide more access. We're able to have faster real-time data that we can look at and we don't have to wait for that whole week or two weeks or even, you know, when I did some consultations outside of California in, in Nevada and Mexico that, you know, we didn't have to wait a whole month to see the data. I can see the data right now if I wanted to on a, on a patient that I was tracking and see, you know, is, does it seem like the change I made last week is, is taking effect or, you know, is this something that maybe we need to take a look at a little bit faster? And ultimately that's gonna lead to better care because we're gonna be responsive a lot faster to that data now than, than we were able to, you know, 15, 20 years ago when you had to not just wait a week to grab it, but now you had to spend hours tabulating it and, and you were hoping that, you know, that you had all the data that, <laughs> that you were, your team was collecting. No, absolutely. And, and beyond even the technology for data collection and everything on those regards is that I, I, I think it must have been eight years ago when we decided that we were going to start sending people through graduate programs. And it maybe yeah. it was like five, six people. I think, what, it, how many people are in the graduate program through ABS Kids right now? Well, I think it's over, like 150, yeah, yeah. close. Yeah, I, that just kind of blows my mind. And then even with like the, the CEUs, their continued education and the fact that the field is constantly growing, there's always new stuff that we're able to utilize technology to be able to get that to the staff on a regular basis. I think that that's, it's so, it, it's, a, it's a pivotal change for the field. It, it enables us to be able to grow responsibly, which I think is so key. Um, I'm, I'm actually gonna pivot now too, but um, <laughs> I wanted to kind of go in. I, I, I know that Francisco, you and I had, had spoken uh, a few months back about one of one of our uh, old kiddos that uh, that was now going to be trying out for a dating show and all this. But I, I'd love to hear. Do you do you ever hear from any of the families that you served ten years ago about you know where their children are at? And and maybe Francisco, yeah. do you have any of those stories? I, I'd love yeah, hearing. Yeah, I those. mean, it, I I don't know how much time we have left here, but I have tons of stories on on uh, this topic, um, just a couple, I'll, I'll give a couple. So, you know, I have uh, my very first client that I ever worked with, um, he was, uh, him and his brother were both receiving treatment. And um, the, the client that I worked with, he is, I will never forget any of my family's birthdays ever again, because every single time my sister has a birthday or my mom has a birthday, um, I will get an email that morning saying, it's your sister's birthday today. 
you know, tell her happy birthday, right? And so this is all from when we used to do conversation programs. And, I, you know, I would say, hey, how you doing? Good. Uh, did you do anything fun? Yeah, it was my sister's birthday. Oh, how old did she turn? She turned 25. And so he just remembered all those dates. And so he, he's, my, he's my little reminder of, of that. Um, and he's doing well. He works uh, for, for the city. Uh, for the city of LA, um, you know, kind of in the record keeping department, um, you know, lives with a roommate, but they live independently. Um, you know, I, I believe they have someone that comes in and checks a couple of times a week to make sure they, you know, they have all their groceries, all their needs, they've taken care of all their chores that they need to take care of in the house, like washing and you know, keeping the, the bathrooms clean and things like that, but largely an independent, independent life. Uh, you mentioned the other, the other boy. Yeah, he's, um, I guess, tried out for Love on the Spectrum, a, a show that, that is out there. And, you know, he's, he's hoping to hopefully be able to be in the next season whenever it, it comes back because they had a production delay, obviously, from COVID and, and he was also on uh, on a different show and, and I think it's coming back this Friday on on Netflix. I, I'm forgetting the name right now, but he was on a couple episodes in, in, in that show as well that also deals with autism. Atypical, that's the name of that show. So he was in a few episodes there. Um, you know, my wife also uh, did uh, ABA. That's where we met actually in the home with those first two clients I mentioned. And Francisco, uh, that wasn't your first big ABA memory. I think that your wife might be mad at you right now for that one. You know what? She's a big podcaster and she's probably <laughs> going to hear that. And, yeah. Uh, but, you know, she gets updates from some of her clients. You know, she has a client that is, uh, you know, uh, driving, successful in school. I believe he's in a band. Um, and, um, you know, every, every, Christmas, you know, we get a card in the mail, just kind of uh, from the parents, and it just updates kind of where, you know, where he's at, you know, how he's been doing, and, and he's been very successful, uh, you know, 20 years later from when she worked with him. And it's, it, that's what we all got into this field for, is that, yeah. I mean, when you're working in services for, uh, for autistic individuals and for their families, the goal is, is that you're enabling them to live the life that they would love to live. And it sounds like whether it's uh, being an actor on dating shows or taking one's memory and applying it to being uh, somebody who's working for the city and probably correct can correct everybody on everything they're forgetting to do. Um, and I mean, all the way to being able to kind of just do everything they want on their timeline because they've gotten the independent skills to be able to say, no, I don't want that extra help. I can do it on my own. That's the key to all the service. Uh, Marin, what, what is it like when somebody gets to that level after they've received services for a while and, and they quote unquote graduate or, I mean, ultimately where they feel independent enough that they don't need your support anymore? I think it can be, obviously it's a huge triumph for that individual and for the family. I think it can be a little bittersweet for us because, you know, we've spent many hours, uh, you know, with these families and, and with the child and, um, you know, sometimes ending that kind of therapeutic relationship is, is a little sad for us because we're used to seeing that child every day and they really kind of become just, you know, a staple for us. But we also obviously are very excited to see them make progress and to move on. And well, 
while you and Francisco were talking, I was thinking about how I keep in touch a lot with patients over social media, um, you know, as they become 18 and they have their social media and, you know, they will request to be my friend or like follow me on Instagram. And um, it's just really fun to keep up with them and see what they're doing, um, you know, whether it's internships or jobs or, you know, um, vacations that they're going on and with their with their family and just being able to stay in touch. Um, I think um, I, I have twin boys and, and I post a lot on um, Instagram uh, pictures of them. And um, my husband was with them recently at an aquarium. And um, I, I guess a former patient recognized them from <laughs> my, my social media and came up and, and said, hey, we know Marin. And so that was kind of, kind of fun for them to introduce themselves to my family, even though I wasn't there. Um, but, you know, you make these connections that are, you know, even after the fact, if, if you're not keeping in touch with everybody, which is totally normal, because, you know, that's, that's not necessarily part of what we do, but it is always nice to be able to just get those glimpses into kind of how um, these people that you've spent a lot of time with are doing after ABA and, um, you know, having that, that point of contact and kind of being able to, um, you know, hope that that's, that's how well things are going for everybody else. Um, but it's, it's just a really exciting time for, um, for the families when our supports are no longer needed. And that's obviously what we want to do. Um, I think there is some kind of a, a phrase or like a saying that we say is like, our, our goal is for us to not, you know, have a job anymore is we want to, we want, you know, everybody to be making the progress that they need that we're not needed, at least for that patient, we can put our, our focus and our emphasis um, elsewhere um, for a child that is, um, you know, is, is needing that support. Absolutely. And there are times where just being a clinician, there's going to be gaps between seeing some of these gains. I would imagine those stories and just being able to share those experiences or hearing from uh, an older client or patient is that you you get that feeling back that you know it gives you the energy and it helps put things into perspective that it might not happen in three months but in two years they might be excelling far beyond anybody's dreams which is what I mean that's why we're here we used to probably have very different concerns about the field um, in the past is that, I mean, we're all in it for that same reason Marin was talking about it. We're in it because we want to make a difference, but there was always different challenges. Um, and I mean, historically, it might have been that we didn't have enough opportunity for growth or we didn't have enough uh, BCBAs in the field or something to that effect. Um, Francisco, what, what is it, I guess, that, you know, is, is still the thing on the horizon that that makes you worry in, in the field of ABA or makes you say, not necessarily I worry, but we're gonna have to solve for this eventually. Yeah, you know, uh, relatively ABA is still a, a very young field. And, you know, I recall back when I was uh, a, a BT, that RBT wasn't a thing back then. And, you know, if you had your BCBA, you were one of a very select few, you know, back when I got started and, um, you know, Obviously, you know, that's grown. We, we see a lot more, you know, BCBAs in the field now. And we did go through a period where, you know, if you became a BCBA, you had probably been in the field five, six, seven, you know, 10 years and had a lot of experience working with families. 
then, you know, quickly, you know, ABA became known and we saw a lot of students kind of coming straight out of their bachelor's straight into a master's program, you know, doing a year and a half, two years of RBT work and then sitting for that exam. And so, you know, the, the concern I had was, are these individuals seasoned enough to really be able to take the science and apply it? And it's something that honestly, I can say it's just been through experience. You know, I've been with families that I wasn't effective initially, and it was just, I didn't have enough experience to really see the bigger picture of how do I take the science and apply it to this individual child and this individual family and, and make it meaningful. And so my concern has been that I think the board, you know, has done a lot to address that in the requirements of unrestricted hours, you know, the, the, the different classes that have been added, the, the ethics that has been added over the last few years, and they're constantly adjusting that to make sure that, you know, students going through a master's in ABA program, which wasn't even a thing back then, right, um, or, you know, getting that graduate certificate um, in ABA, that they're really coming out far better prepared, and there's more time there for um, experience to be gained. Because at the end of the day, when you walk into a, a house as a BCBA, you know, you're taking that science and then you're adapting it to that family uh, to create change that's gonna last and be meaningful mm -hmm. for those families. Absolutely, and, and I think that uh, this is something that we've foreseen for a little bit. I think it was back in 2016 that ABS Kids decided to go through the accreditation process for the Behavioral Health Center of Excellence. And it was for that same reason, is that we need to make sure that there's that quality piece, that the training's there, that the administrative support is there, and that we're meeting a specific standard for care. And I, I think in the industry is that you have the Council of Autism Service Providers that is trying to build their own accreditation standards. But um, maybe it's even looking at, you know, the, the having these quality departments that gives transparency to the families on, you know, how it is that the company is performing and maybe not even just the individual BCBA. But I think that that's a good thing to solve for. And I, I mean, it, there's so much out there, but that's a great one to kind of focus on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to flip the script, Marin, and say, what is ex exciting about the field of ABA right now? I mean, what is it that's coming on the horizon that you're, that you're super excited to kind of see and to experience? I, I mean, it's, it's growing a lot, and that's very exciting to see um, new people like, you know, like, like Francisco and I both were at one point coming into the field and really falling in love with um, the science behind ABA and uh, the progress that they, um, you know, can, can impact for their, their patients. Um, it's also been really exciting to see, and you referenced it earlier, Jeff, that, you know, the transition of our RBT team and, and population into BCBA roles where they're able to oversee um, treatment plans and, and make decisions for patients while they work with the families. That's very exciting because, you know, we definitely, need more people who are passionate about this work and who want want to do it and want to um, you know support these children that need the services so I also think and I referenced this earlier as well there's just a lot of opportunity for shoring up our practices and providing the best possible 
you know, operational supports uh, for our clinicians and for our families. And that just, it's just like a, a new frontier of, of healthcare is kind of the way that I see it, where we have just all this opportunity to um, make um, ABA services the best that they can be. I don't even speak to that in terms of at ABS Kids, but I think across the board, um, you know, the, the BHCOE is one organization that's helping us to um, ensure high quality services um, across, you know, companies and agencies. Um, and I think that, that that is a really exciting um, next step for the field that um, we just continue to increase our credibility and increase our quality. The people that are going to benefit from that the most are the children that we uh, provide services to. So those are the things that, that I can think of that are, are just super exciting. And I, I appreciate the fact that you mentioned the operational component to that because you all started as clinicians and now are primarily uh, at operators. That's, that's your job right now. You are managing states of service and several uh, thousands of employees. And it, it is a different world that you lived in. And you probably were able to kind of shine the light on how you can take that clinical expertise and turn it into an operational success. But not having to wear eight hats, 10 hats, having departments that are dealing with contracting, that are dealing with authorizations and billing and um, human resources, staffing, uh, your education program, I, having all of these people that can specialize in so many different things rather than having to do it on your own or doing it as a small company is probably one of those things where it enables you to have those successes and enables you to look forward to say, I'm conquering the next problem instead of just staying above water, um, mm. which is, it's one of those growing pains, but I, it's nice to see the other end of that as well. Um, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna end here with just one question and I hope that you both can weigh in and I'll start with you, Francisco, but what advice do you have for people that are just entering the field at that behavior tech level where it's probably, the hardest job, but the most rewarding that they'll ever enter into. What is your advice for them? Yeah, I think, you know, talk, talk to your, talk to your team, talk to your supervisor, communicate, you know, uh, what you're feeling, ask questions, you know, how is what I'm doing in improving the life of, of this child and, and their families, you know, go in there every day is, you know, a new day for this child to, to learn something, for you to be able to motivate, to develop a new reinforcer, um, you know, with this kid. Uh, I think the, the, the best therapists that I've seen, you know, it, over, over my time have been those that can establish their own individual, very unique reinforcer or, or little uh, routine with a kid that that kid says hey you know when Francisco comes to my house that's when we play this the silly game that only him and I have and that child will want to work for me and it makes my job easier you know funner and you know I'm able to get through what I'm able, you know assigned to do without really putting much effort into it you know you're 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 following protocol, the kid wants to work for you, you're going to have a blast, you know, when you do that. So I'd say, you know, establishing that relationship 
that unique reinforcer and not relying on, you know, okay, you got all your 10 stars, you know, here's an iPad. Let's do something that only you're going to attribute to me because then when I'm not here for a week and I come back, you're really going to want that game again. You're really going to want those individual reinforcers. It's going to make those days go by fast, those four-hour sessions. I know it, it sounds funny, but it'll make those four-hour sessions go fast when th that kid wants to work for you. Absolutely. Those unique relationships, I mean, it's got to be the lifeline for it, for that energy and, and for wanting to continue to try new things and push through challenges. Uh, Maren, I mean, for those new clinicians, for those new BCBAs, you've, you've seen so many go through that process. Mm -hmm. uh, what is, what's the advice for them? I mean, it's, they're entering into a whole new world as well. Yeah, I always tell our new BCBA is uh, don't be afraid to ask questions. Uh, there's no, uh, you know, training that's comprehensive enough to capture every unique situation. And, you know, we have at ABS Kids, we have assistant director teams that um, help to facilitate responses to those questions and to collaborate on those responses too. So, um, you know, I think asking questions is, is really important. And then also providing feedback on, you know, what are the resources that we're missing or what are the supports that we need to create um, to make the BCBA experience better overall. And those are the, those are like the, the key things that I always tell our new, new BCBAs. And one other thing that I would just add to that is, um, you know, there are a lot of difficult situations that come up um, when, you know, you are, are working in this field and a lot of uh, difficult conversations that you have to have, whether that's with um, someone that you're supervising, um, you know, giving them feedback on how they need to improve with a patient or, um, you know, improve with their performance. Um, you know, those, those conversations, they, they're difficult for everybody and those situations are difficult for everybody. And so really looking at opportunities or looking at those situations as opportunities to grow professionally and to grow clinically um, rather than, you know, kind of dreading or, you know, uh, just being anxious about it. Um, look at it as an opportunity to grow yourself and your skill set. So the next time that same situation comes up, because it definitely will, um, you will be more empowered um, through your previous experience of, of working through that. And again, like we we want people to feel supported in those situations, and we also want people to feel like they can handle them as well um, without a, an um, exorbitant amount of stress. And um, you know, so those are. Those are the key things that I always like to communicate to our new BCBAs um, as they're coming into um, our team. Wonderful advice. And, and just having a team to be able to uh, use as that crutch as you're learning those experiences is it goes back to what we talked about earlier in the podcast is, you know, there's a, there is a book out there on behavior analysis, but it isn't that book that's going to make you a great clinician. You need the principles from it, but it's that management, that understanding how to be a leader, how to, how to kind of take the uniqueness of each child and, and use that as a strength towards programming. 
all of that is stuff you learn on the job and having that right team around you is so important. Um, and I, on that same note, I want to thank you both because you all have been wonderful colleagues, wonderful friends over the past 10 years. Uh, Francisco, a little bit longer just because uh, we started out together in California well before those 10 years of ABS kids. But it's, it's been a pleasure. Um, and just watching where things have gone as an industry and as a company where, uh, Marin, you are part of the pilot program that led to insurance reform in Utah. So you are part of the reason why children in Utah have autism insurance coverage. Francisco, you helped to develop a education program. We're the first professor for ABS at National University, which is now putting through 150 students. I mean, it's these sorts of things are you never would have thought they were going to happen 10 years ago to go from a company of six out of a house into several thousand employees and working in numerous states. And yet we have gotten stronger clinically and operationally and culturally over that time. So that's an testament to your all's work. And I appreciate that. So thank you. Yeah, I, I you know, I, you probably don't want to hear this because you know you're you're very humble and don't don't like to hear this type of stuff. But you know, I thank you, Jeff. You, gosh, 15 years ago, you know, had a vision about providing quality care to an area that was lacking, you know, access. That's really, you know, what you were interested in. And you know, we really didn't know how to do that, right? You know, behavior analysts would say we're just behavior analysts trying to figure out how to run businesses, right? And, you know, you had that vision to, to bring ABA somewhere where it wasn't saturated like California, but some, somewhere like Utah, and really provide that access to families out there. And 15 years later, you know, one of the hot topics is, is access to care. And, you know, even in California, we have hundreds of companies, we still don't have enough access for all the kids that, that need the care. But you had that vision 15 years ago, and have really developed something that you know, is, is doing it very successfully. And, you know, we're not quitting. We, we want to make sure we continue getting better. But, you know, you've done a, a very effective job in, in not just providing that access, but helping, you know, uh, legislation and, and lead efforts to continue providing, you know, more of that access. So, you know, huge, huge uh, accolades are, are deserved your way. I appreciate it. I appreciate the fact that there's that there is this giant team of ABS kids that um, everybody has their unique role in every one of the things that have occurred, including um, a management team, which who would have thought that we would have that level and that caliber of a management team come on to help us to be able to go through this growth. So um, I do appreciate you all taking the time. I know that your lives are super busy and the fact that you're able to carve out way too long to talk with me is, uh, is a pleasure. So thank you all. And um, hopefully we'll be able to get back on and do this in another 10 years. We'll have a 20 year uh, <laughs> reflection. So hopefully we'll all be able to have some great stories packed in for them. We'll be a lot more gray then too. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's not a, a, a video blog, a video podcast because I, I might have to wear a hat. I don't think I'll have hair by then. <laughs> well, thank you guys. I appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Autism Weekly. We hope you tune back in next week to learn more about autism in the real world. Autism Weekly is now found on all the major listening apps, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
Stitcher, Spotify, Amazon Music, and more. Subscribe to be notified when we post a new podcast. Autism Weekly is produced by ABS Kids. ABS Kids is proud to provide diagnostic assessments and ABA therapy to children with developmental delays like autism spectrum disorder. You can learn more about ABS Kids and the Autism Weekly podcast by visiting abskids.com. Thanks for tuning in. See you again next week. Thank <music> you.